0: Good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, May 13th, 2018, and I'm your host, Hertsy Hertz, and I'm here to talk with Maddie Love, and on Skype we have Michael Moore. This is an open conversation, and we welcome and encourage your listener interaction with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at, at atheist talk. The phone number is only available when we're live, but you, you can always email or tweet us whether we're live or whether you're listening to the podcast. Maddie, Michael, good morning, and welcome to Atheist Talk. Good morning.
1: Morning, thank you for having me.
0: All right. So Michael, you are an occupational therapist, correct? Correct. All right, so let's let's start with the basics, because admittedly, uh, I had to Google this. You know? <laughs> <Good> <laughs> um, so what exactly what the what is an occupational therapist? It's
1: a great question. Primarily we are trained in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Um, it's a basically a therapist career track that got started roughly after World War One when soldiers were returning from war with PTSD, shell being shell-shocked, and it was the type of nursing that opened up to try to help them actually acclimate back in society through engaging in functional activities, essentially. And then it grew and became more expansive and just incorporated basic physical rehabilitation, such as if one had a stroke, then you'd need help basically learning compensatory strategies to learn how to button your shirt, to work on balance training, to just a whole sorts, a whole plethora of different things for activities of daily living. So it's it's kind of a neat, it, it's a neat career because it it can can apply to so many different things in so many different ways, and it's a, it's a really kind of a neat job.
0: That does sound kind of interesting, and I'm guessing, of course, that that like many jobs that expand, um, you get specializations. So what's your your specialization?
1: Uh, for the last ten years, I've been working primarily with children with autism and ADHD. Uh, in the public schools, Um, and I just started a new job, and I'm in training for that right now, working with pediatrics for home care. Um, And so primarily I've been working on my specialization into understanding autism and ADHD and and basically the surrounding um, social um, and environmental phenomena of those, whether it be um, neurological or whether it be more societal-based.
0: So, so basically, what you're saying is vaccines cause autism.
1: No, I'm <laughs> not saying that. I still, you know, I still run into that, and actually have personal friends that I actually have to, you know, go over again and again and again that vaccines do not cause autism, and that they should vaccinate their their child. And I have to, and actually, I've, and I've tried to become better at articulating as to why um, the the fear mongering out there in the world is is just ramped on 10 and uh, i don't blame the typical parent for being very reticent or having a lot of anxiety over that over that subject matter so that's why when i was asked to do this i'm more than happy to to go on and try to help and try to explain things there's tons of material online that people can always go and look at paul dr paul Offit is a great resource for that he's written um several really really good books on 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 vaccines and their importance and their safety.
2: Yeah, we actually had Paul Offit, Dr. Paul Offit, on as a guest about I think three months ago, four months ago.
0: Oh yeah, was that yeah. the one with uh, Greg?
2: Yeah, I was really bummed out because I really wanted
0: to talk to him. I know, I, admittedly, because I I think I hosted that because um, we did it like it was so funny. We all did it remotely, <laughs> and, but so it's interesting because I just got to sit and listen to the two guys talk, and yeah. it was
2: awesome. Dr. Paul Offit's so smart. I actually, Michael, I had never heard you know i feel like i'm privileged enough to have never heard of occupational therapy so the first thing i did uh when hertz and i were talking about this is i went to sciencebasedmedicine.org and uh looked for it I was like oh i don't see any articles on occupational therapy this is a good thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I hope so
0: yeah <laughs> um so i i do have a question that the I'm not sure how much this will go into this and such, um, but in your work with occupational therapy and in the mental health field in general, um, have you seen a lot of of religious influence or um, those who are religious trying to influence the actual health field itself, or even just like on a smaller basis, you know, trying to get people to convert or something like that?
1: My personal experience with that is simply in it really will function in more of an obstructionist way with, let's say the, the parents of the children that I'm dealing with. Um, those types of belief systems really don't appear to help at all <laughs> when it comes to understanding of, of why their children, why their child has autism or ADHD or why their child can't pay attention and things like that. And so, in authoritarian homes and authoritarian households, I really find myself functioning uh, quite a bit as social work, um, explaining to the parents how different components of the frontal lobe work and what you can expect and what you shouldn't expect and what you need to be more patient with. And, you know, believing in those types of fundamental beliefs really... Um, just appear to me so destructive, now more than ever, I think. Um, at first, I used to kind of, when I first got into healthcare, I thought, well, you know, if they need that to make themselves feel better or to cope or to deal with, that's fine. But all too often, I just see it as being very crippling. And the, 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 the children that I've dealt with who are, tend to be better off tend to have more pragmatic parents. Uh, and that pragmatism sort of doesn't, doesn't involve those types of fundamental religious beliefs.
2: Do you ever have to like step back out of a client or, or a case that you're working with because you're just receiving like not not intentional obstructionism from the parents, but just you know, their personal beliefs are getting in the way of the child's recovery or the child's treatment?
1: Well ultimately I have to step back because the the parent is the, the caregiver um and have legal you know rights over the child and so i'm simply there to to help and so the parent determines the plan of care and uh it's you know the the iep in the school system is a a legal document um so you know i constantly have to bite my tongue i constantly have to be diplomatic i constantly have to be very understanding um so it, it happens quite a bit
0: um, so yeah, as a person who actually, who has ADD and grew up with it, um, and fortunately did not have overly religious parents, by the way, hi, mom and dad, <laughs> who got yeah, the whole family's kind of gone atheist. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see where having that authoritative household could be a minefield, you know, cause you can't, you can't pay attention for more than five minutes and that's if you're lucky. <laughs> you get five minutes. Yeah. Uh, if-
1: and it's a, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Sam Harris. and When I read his book, Free Will, um, it resonated with me quite a bit because I find, I found myself at that point in time dealing with more and more children where I was watching them in the system being punished for behaviors that I know they could not control. And the administrators in the system were, were acting as if these children knew why they were doing what they were doing and, <laughs> had, control, and had control of those impulses. And, and you're, you're, you know, in knowing full well that I'm dealing with, you know, a, some nine, eight, 10, 11 year old who doesn't have a fully formed frontal lobe knowing full well, they don't have executive control over a lot of this stuff. And so this, these punitive measures just led the child down this just very dark, dark road when it comes to the educational system. It was very, very frustrating. I find myself at times just really beating my head against the wall and really pulling, just principals and teachers, pulling them into meetings and go, you know, let's not, let's not do this to this child anymore. You know, he's, he's living in an orphanage. He is functionally illiterate and he has severe ADHD. And now he's showing up to school every day and he's having to deal with this, you know, and if it's just, it's just a mess. And then having to kind of play that role. I, I guess I've been very fortunate that I've been able to play that role and I've been able to be there for those kids at those points in time. I was able to be a voice of reason for them. And that's that's that made me feel um, quite a, quite good. Um, and and I saw the need for it more and more, which is why I did that job for, for so long for very little money my
0: yeah the the impulse control is definitely something that doesn't go away either
2: (laughs) no i've got a bunch of kids and a whole bunch of grandkids of various ages and sometimes i have to try to step back and explain to my my kids who i love if they're listening that you know a a child at one is not able to make that same like mental you know their brain isn't working the same way your brain is working at, at 30 years old and you need to take that into account and it's not like let these kids off the hook it's only hold them responsible for the things that they're actually responsible for
0: well and also then um, exp- you know, if they're old enough to, to understand start understanding cause and effect tell them you know okay so you didn't have a reason for doing this but this is why you shouldn't do it in the future you yes. know give that, give that explanation
2: so you're the expert yep. did what we just say make any sense yes okay Yay. Yay. <laughs>
1: I mean, it, yeah, you know, it, it's 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 a it's a it begs the question of the theory of mind and, and it begs the question of agency and just when does that agency and that executive control really begin to take take hold, you know, and, and uh, you know, one of my favorite Sam Harris quotes is, you know, at best, maybe the, the marionette can get control of his strings. And I think that's really what education of children really is about, saying, you know, these these you will have these drives, you will have these impulses, you will have these inclinations. This is what you'll need to do to not act on them. This is why it's best to not act on them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And fill in, you know, fill in the blank there. Um, so that's that's been fascinating to me because of my own personal interest in, in those toxic topics of theory of mind and sort of the philosophy kind of free will. All right, dealing with Michael. Yes,
0: indeed. Actually, I, I do have to pause you there for a moment because we have to go to break. Um, but sure. please do stay with us through the break. We'll return to Atheist Talk with in-studio guest Maddie Love and on Skype Michael Moore. I'm Hersey Hertz, and you're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk, and I'm your host, Hertzy Hertz, in studio with Maddie Love, and on Skype is Michael Moore, occupational therapist extraordinaire. Before we get back, however, I want to remind everyone listening live that immediately following this program, you can listen to American Atheist Viewpoint, an official production of American Atheist. Please note, you can always catch American Atheist Viewpoint by subscribing to the podcast version in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or the podcast player of your choice. As for the here and now, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Maddie Love and Michael Moore this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, tweet us at doc, or visit our Facebook page at Atheist Doc. Maddie, Michael, welcome back. Thanks.
1: So, I always feel a bit self-conscious when people say my name, and I hope they don't tune in thinking I'm not a filmmaker, so... Yeah, I I'll didn't t- want to I'll bring that those, up.
0: I'll take those listeners. <laughs> 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 I, I when it comes to getting listeners, I don't. I, I, okay, no, I do have morals, but
2: <laughs> well, and I didn't want to say anything because, like, I figured you probably have heard that a lot. Like, like my last name is Love, so I've heard all the love jokes that there can be. Yeah. So I figured you've probably heard all the all the different. Well, I,
1: live in, I live in Michigan, and um, I was fairly involved in politics. And so I was showing up at all these meetings, and they'd ask you your name, and everyone would just start dying laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because I'm I'm a fairly thin person, you know, six foot tall, fairly thin. And people say, well, you clean up well. And I'm going, yeah, it's a fact. You know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And me with the last name of Hertz, you know, how many Hertz donuts can I give out? (laughs) Oh, God. All right. So right before the break, Michael, you were talking about something called theory of mind. Can you yes. can you explain what oh. is theory of mind?
1: You probably should ask a philosopher about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but far, we have you. <laughs> yeah, you have, you have me today. Yeah. Um, The mind as the emergent phenomena of what the brain does with all of its different sort of subcomponents and components and and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, So one of the tests we do for autism in children um, kind of touches on that. Basically, do they see themselves as someone separate from other people? And do they see other people as also having agency and having minds themselves and having wishes and wants and needs and things like that, too? And so when children begin to sort of show signs of that, um, we really kind of expect that, you know, two, three, four years old, there's the beginning that there's other people and those reflections back on them and their their actions and their moods and things. And. With autism, you you tend to see a very a blunting of that, or, or you know where that's why they say you know children with autism tend to treat you like objects, or see that they can't tell the difference between people and objects, so they treat them very similarly. And so it's that kind of basic. That's how we use it as OTs in the school system when we deal with children who we suspect of having autistic-like uh, behaviors. That's what we mean by that. Does that uh, does that make sense? Or
2: I would, I, I kind of think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think yes. so. All right.
1: It's, background of that if you delve into it even further sort of philosophy can you know chop that down and and, uh, split those hairs even finer
2: how do you um you talked about having issues you know and running into sometimes running into obstacles and dealing with like religious families is that is that one of the components that's hard to get through to somebody who's very like a fundamentalist or deeply entrenched in religious beliefs that there's more just going on just inside the brain, that it has nothing to do with, like, a soul? I mean, obviously, you're not going to come out and say that, because you don't want to offend them.
1: I don't come right out and say that, but I'll sit there and look them square in the eye and pull out a piece of paper and draw a brain, and then draw little compartments in the brain, and I'll say, this compartment isn't talking to that compartment, and then this compartment isn't going back to that compartment. That's what we, you know, that's the theory, Is what we, you know, with these big fmr, mr, excuse me, M R I machines, and CAT scans. That's kind of what we can tell. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. And that's why little Johnny isn't progressing in academia the way we would like, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, I try to do that as, um, compassionately as I, as I possibly can. And hopefully they can turn the page and they themselves can transition and begin to see it as more of a medical model. And so that's what I'm there for. I'm there to sort of give them every, every reason to set that aside and to begin to, to deal with it on a much more of a pragmatic basis.
0: So um, so I, I listened, and I know, Maddie, you listen to this podcast as well, um, that watches a lot of, of Christian movies and then makes fun of them. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I've noted oftentimes, and they've noted as well, is that the number of times that religious these religious movies will try to treat something with, with their religion and, and basically say throw away the pills, is that something you've come across a lot i'm hoping yes
1: yes yeah the the reluctance to the reluctance to use medication even when the child is is in danger and hurting themselves and others um does come up quite a bit um i've two to three cases a year i would kind of be sitting in on those meetings and that can be a very touchy subject um, obviously, you know, the conspiracy theories appear to have really won. They're, they're, it's unfortunate. There really are. That's, they're, they're, from my point of view, they're degrading society more than anything else is. The misinformation, the suspicion of authority, the suspicion of doctors. Um, and not that doctors are always always right, of course. They're just people, and they have biases, and they make mistakes. Um, but this, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm in more meetings where parents are like absolutely no medication. I'm I'm like, you know, you have this child that's got self-harming behaviors. We should really maybe look at this. No, absolutely not. And time will go by and things will just fly out of control until finally they give in. Um, and finally some type of medication regimen is used and we start to see some progress in the child's behavior.
0: So. Um, Do you see, out of morbid curiosity, do you see this, I mean, because I'm guessing you see this with some of the people who you would consider more pragmatic as well or just less religious, does there seem to be some kind of side that is or isn't more likely to medicate or not medicate?
1: Unfortunately, you know, it's across the board, socioeconomically, you know, I mean, I've, I've got fairly affluent friends who have educations who... You know, I sit at their table over a beer on a Saturday night and they're like, absolutely not. Not my child. I'm not going to vaccinate. I'm going, not going to do this. And I'm like going, no, but really, you know, the has been taken out of the vaccines. You have nothing to worry about, et cetera, et cetera. And they just everything, everyone from them to inner city um, people who have very little education. And it's it's still the same reticence and still the same fear.
2: For the record, thimerosal didn't cause it anyway.
0: No, because isn't it like isn't thimerosal <laughs> no. like a mercury There's something ethyl else? And
2: methylmercury. mercury, your body exactly. is able to break one down and not the other. Exactly. Yeah, That's the body can get rid of. Yeah, and and actually,
1: you know, and actually, it should be noted. I'm sure Paul Offit spoke about this because I, I read one of his articles where he was talking about because they've been proactive in taking out thimerosal. Uh, a lot of these vaccines, their shelf lives now are, are are very minimal, and actually yeah. now, you, yeah, you know, it's, it's caused even the the ineffective use of a lot of these vaccines because of the, the fear factor that people have with it and yes. but yes. And, it, and it goes to say that actually the pharmaceuticals have trying to be reactive and trying to meet you know people's understanding and trying to do what they think will make people more at ease to use these products and, and that's funny that's never covered in the media the media is always about you know the pharmaceuticals is out to do this and that all right
0: I got to stop sure. you again. We got another break here. Uh, but we'll return with our guests, Maddie Love and Michael Moore, right after the break. Please stay with us. I'm Hertzy Hertz, and you're listening to Atheist Talk on KTNF, AM 950. <laughs> Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF I'm your host E. Hertz and we're having what I would classify as a fascinating conversation with Maddie Love and Michael Moore before we continue this conversation, which will be our final segment with Miley Love and Michael Moore, there's a bit of housekeeping I need to attend to. Atheist Talk is produced with funding for the Minnesota Atheist Cucumbers and Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina, Minnesota. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you'd like to advertise on this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. I also want to note our group of dedicated volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners. You'll help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. I'd also also like to note our donors of the week which is Cindy a sustaining donor thank you so much if you are able to help with a donation please consider doing so at the radio fund page or at our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash atheist talk Minnesota atheist is a 501c3 tax deductible organization when we couldn't do the show without you and we deeply appreciate your support Music for Minnesota Atheists is by composer and member Brent Michael Davis and is used with permission. Please note all opinions are of the guest and host only and do not necessarily reflect those of the Minnesota Atheist organization. As always, check out the Minnesota Atheist website for podcasts of previous programs, articles, book reviews and perusing the calendar for upcoming events. You can also sign up for the Atheist Weekly email, which will give you links to upcoming events. It's a great way to stay connected in the community. We always have a ton of activities all around the Twin Cities and the outlying suburbs. If you enjoy the show and all that Minnesota Atheist has to offer, consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheist while you're on the website. Membership has some great perks. Check out the hows and whys on the website. With all that relevant and useful information out of the way, let's get back to our conversation with Maddie Love and Michael Moore. Thanks.
2: <laughs> that was a lot. You it, get it is faster and faster at that every week. Well, because
0: I get the practice. Awesome. <laughs> so, Michael, when you, when you left, we were talking about um, medications and such and... Um, yes. I know you can't see me because because you're on Skype, but Maddie can, Maddie can vouch for me. I'm wearing this super awesome dress that has all these hearts that are made out of pills.
2: <laughs> yes, I love it.
0: So I'm totally totally not biased when it comes to the idea of medication. <laughs> um, okay, try- oh, I do
1: I do want to be careful. I don't. Um, I'm I'm pragmatic on on those topics. Um, I really try to when engaging in my caseload I really try to sort of understand that you know those medications are are powerful and in a developing mind and a developing neural system there is this preening process that goes on with the neurons that a great deal as a as a teenager and the introduction of medications into that system can be quite dramatic and so as a healthcare professional in that field working with clients I want to be very careful and I want to, you know, only suggest those types of interventions only when it's only when it's necessary, only when I think that any type of behavioral therapy or change in the environment uh, will not be enough. So I, I want to make that very clear. I don't want to sound like I'm I'm for or against um, anything more than I'm not. So.
2: So if I understand you're right, you're for giving people that need health the kind of health care that they need. Correct. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're, we're totally against that at Minnesota Atheist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Again, all opinions are of the hosts and guests only, do not reflect, necessarily reflect the Minnesota Atheists as an organization.
1: <laughs> and that's, you know, that's why I have to go through the training that I have to go through. and That's why doctors have to go through the training they have to go through, and nurses and social workers in the schools have to go through the training they have to go through. These are not These are not easy questions. And sometimes there's not easy answers, and um, so I, I I am, and that's why I'm doing this. I, I'm I'm very empathetic to to the confusion and fear that exists in my clients and in my clients' families. You know, and that's why I try to do this, and I want to be better at, at helping them and articulating um, the types of interventions that and the reality of the situation as well. And so, what can you expect with this? You know, what you know, I had one one case where. Uh, the child just was not learning. They they were unable to pay attention. And I was very careful in articulating it to the mother saying, you know, even if we introduce this, this medication and they can focus, it's still going to be an uphill slog for several years, but he will have a fighting chance if it works the way I think it did. The mother eventually agreed. The child was put on the medication and what happened is exactly what I said was what happened. And that made my credibility much better. I didn't overstate my case to the parent. I said, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is what I think will happen. This is what we'll need to do afterwards when we start seeing him able to sit in class and focus. And so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that as a professional. But that took me 12 years of hard clinical work to get to that point when before I can make that type of judgment. And that's, I just want to underscore that for for the listeners to understand that that's it takes a lot of lot of time to, to gain that type of experience before you can stand up and say you know I think I think X and, and let's give it a shot. Uh,
0: and and medication, I mean, it's there's always questions of exactly how well yeah. it's going to work and such. Um, even as an adult, you know, when when your brain is is set supposedly set, um, it can be tough. So I have a question because I actually didn't know about this until I was looking at your interview with uh robert and the right to reason podcast apparently there's kind of some kind of conspiracy theory about over medication and school shootings
1: yeah I, I actually noticed um i don't think it came up in that discussion but i actually i was perusing through uh, a certain radical conspiracy theory magazine i, I don't want to give the the jerk a <laughs> shout out so please don't Malik owns. It kind of rhymes with, <laughs> and uh, and sure enough, I saw them. I saw it, one of the articles where I mean, of course, there's no sources, and it's not you know, it's not a credible journalist who wrote it, but they were saying that one of the one of the shootings or the military bases. The soldier was on Paxil, and they were attributing it back to the Paxil, and this this goes back several years. But that's the first that I noticed it. And so when Robert asked me to do that show, I was not surprised that it had steamrolled between then and now. <laughs> and now they want to blame it on you know antidepressants, so they want to blame it on ADHD medication, um, which is which is hilarious. But yeah,
0: because I was going to say like. The stronger of the medicine, as, as an adult at least, the stronger medication I took was Stratera, and I think the worst side effect I had was uh, nausea for like the first two weeks.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, and a lot of those medications don't really cause the change in personality that, you know, that these these um, fear-mongers are basically uh, explaining, so it's not… no. It's
0: I- not- not them in fact again this is anecdotal evidence because this is personal experience but it's like the the first time taking some of those medications I actually felt more of myself than I was before because I was actually able to to hold a number in my head for more than two seconds and keep that memory going
2: yes yeah well and the yeah. number sheer number of people on antidepressants for good or bad and I think it's for good um, we haven't seen a, a, a matching statistical rise in shootings. I mean, yes, there's a lot more shootings, but it's not matching or or starting with, it's not even a correlation to start even looking for a causation.
0: It's kind of like D&D in the 1970s. (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to bring it back because it's, I'm sorry, moral (laughs) panics and the satanic panic is kind of my thing.
1: Oh, is it? Because I, I remember growing up during that, and that was, that was kind of funny. I was a big metalhead in my teenage years during the 1980s, so I was, I was constantly being berated with all these evangelical Christians just screaming in my face about Satan and all this stuff, and I just thought it was the bizarrest thing in the world.
0: You know, we, uh, we can talk about that if you want to do some Patreon-only stuff. Sure! That'd be great. Awesome. Cool. All right. Um, and then maybe maybe I'll invite you on to the other podcast. <laughs>
2: that'd be awesome. Maybe. Yeah, I was... Uh, I was a big
1: metalhead in the 80s, so I experienced the whole... Oh, whole awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I guess so I guess, the, like what you were saying in the second segment in this is there really is kind of a... I mean, like slightly understandable, but there is kind of a moral panic when it comes to, to medications.
1: Well, I, I think we should be concerned, but at the same time, that's why I'm doing this show, is to sort of explain, I've seen it work, I've seen it save lives and i don't want to overstate that but I've, I've seen it take a child who was you know i mean they were illiterate and you know they were eight years old they weren't learning to read or write they, they couldn't you know I, I had an eight-year-old if you sat him down with a pencil and you say write the alphabet for me they could not do it um and then you introduce finally <laughs> that, that medication and then you go back to all the the behavioral therapy, and in the interventions, and all of a sudden the child can do it. They can follow commands. Here's a pencil. Write your name at the top of the page. Now write the alphabet. Those innate abilities that neurotypical people take for granted that the whole educational system is designed for, if you have a child that shows up that doesn't have that, that's, that's so horrifying for them. And I was watching this child now, not only fall behind, but they knew, they knew they were falling behind. So they were, they were experiencing low self-esteem, they were experiencing anxiety and panic attacks, because they knew they weren't getting it, and they knew they were being marginalized.
0: And there's, there's a name for that too, I think it's like ADD rejection or something, where, um, where it's like, if you, if you, and I know this might be specific to ADD, but because you know that there's so many problems and such, you can develop like a whole host of other issues.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I think that's when also too you, you'll see some of them turn to to drug use as well. Um, it's it, that's self medication at that point in time. In some of the, I've seen that in a couple of cases over the years um, as teenagers, um, and that can become a whole other long fight well into their twenties. Oh you know?
0: yeah, because I mean, because basically the, the and again this is ADD only I know that autism has its own spectrum of of medications, but it's anything that's a stimulant can help so you know if i'm my meds aren't working so well i'll grab a cup of coffee or something (laughs) it's like let's see if we can perk it up a little bit (laughs) (laughs) yes indeed yeah i'm I'm on welbutrin right now and originally it was an anti um antidepressant and i've talked to Mm. people who have took it as an antidepressant and it's so funny to listen to them because they're like oh man i was just shaking the whole time i'm like yeah that makes me that lets me like concentrate
1: (laughs) yeah have you tried, um, as well as as well with the medication regime, have you tried meditation and mindfulness training or anything like that?
0: Not yet. Um, partly because I need five minutes. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm I'm one of those people where it's hard for me to say no to things. <laughs> um, so I, my schedule is usually pretty busy. And then every so yeah. often I collapse. And like yesterday, I did not do a thing.
2: <laughs> those are good days. Though.
0: Except for I watched yeah. the I watched British Bake Off the entire weekday. That's all I did.
2: (laughs) And yet there's no cookies.
0: I know. Normally that gets me going. Oh, no, I did do dishes. I did do dishes. But I know, I do know, I do know that there's some stuff I need to do to help bridge that because medication alone is not enough. You have to, you have to actually do something with it to help it.
1: You have to start having the child. Well, having people. I'm sorry if I speak in terms of children. That's what all I've been dealing with. But giving, letting the child know that there are some there are some foot breaks and hand breaks that they have to begin to take control over around 11 or 12 years old, and letting them know that this is one of the ways. You know, I'll, I'll sit. Sometimes I, if they're if they're at the cognitive level that they could tolerate that um, and understand that, I will sit them down in just front of a timer and say, okay, you know, for two minutes we're going to be silent and we're going to do breathing exercises and here's the goal can we make it to two minutes and stay on task a lot of children cannot which is interesting that but would be
0: hard for me as an adult <laughs>
1: yeah yeah yeah. but you use that as a goal So, okay now two minutes now three minutes
0: now and, five minutes, and i actually minutes. have to stop you because we're going to unfortunately be done but thank you for joining us on atheist talk we'd love to have you join us again next sunday which should be another exciting episode